Hillside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you again on this Sunday morning for our online worship service on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you for joining with us today. We're going to continue today with our series on healing and forgiveness and the whole process that leads us through a path of healing and forgiveness. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. We're almost done. This is the second to last point in our series. We've talked about all kinds of steps up to this point that lead us to a place where we're able to heal and able to forgive from past hurts. And that begins with, uh, for example, lamenting the, the, and grieving the hurt that was done to us. Uh, we talked about the importance of making the decision that we do want to be healed from that experience of hurt and pain and suffering. And then, of course, we talked about telling that story, uh, being able to give full airing to the hurt that was done to us and to relay to not only people that love us and care for us, but also to the people who hurt us exactly how it is that that happened. And then last week, our associate pastor, Alex Kipp, talked to you about the next step, which was naming specifically the hurt that you experienced, the importance of being able to name it to pinpoint it, to be able to say exactly what that hurt was. And today, that brings us to this point where we actually finally, after all of those initial steps, get to talk about that moment where we forgive, that moment where we decide to forgive. And so today I want to ask you to join with me. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look around at several different points in that passage, that whole chapter actually. But before we do, I just want to invite you, as usual, to center your hearts and your minds in just a moment of prayer with me as we enter into this text together. God, we thank you so much again for this opportunity for us to come together this morning as we join our hearts and our minds together in worship today. No matter where we might be, we ask that you would really give us the ability to focus on what it is that you are trying to convey to us, what you're trying to communicate to us through these passages of Scripture, that you would cut through the clutter, that you would cut through the emotion, that you would cut through the confusion and the rumination that we sometimes indulge in when we were, are locked into those patterns of unforgiveness. I ask God that today you would break some of us free from those patterns of unforgiveness and that you would help us to become free through our ability to forgive others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. You might remember all the way back at the beginning of this series, I read briefly out of Matthew chapter 18. That wasn't the focus of the passage the very first week, but it sort of foreshadowed that we were going to be going there. And today we're going to go there, uh, Matthew chapter 18. We're actually going to look at a couple different passages in this chapter. This entire chapter really is about forgiveness, and we don't have time to read through the whole chapter today. I'm not going to do that. I just want to touch on a couple of verses, but if this is something that you feel is, is uh, urgent in your life, or if it's something that you really want to understand, I would encourage you to take your own time to really read slowly through all of Matthew chapter 18. But today, I want to start just by reading to you Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, and start our 
uh, observations there because it's probably the most famous thing, the most well-known thing that Jesus ever said about forgiveness. And here's what it says, Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22 says this, Then Peter came and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And some of your, your translations, some of your Bibles might even say 70 times seven. And I start with this passage because when we're talking about forgiveness, this passage is often the one that springs to our heads immediately, partly because Jesus is, of course, using this, uh, this turn of phrase to sort of take Peter's idea and sort of flip it on its head. You know, Peter comes to Jesus and tries to sort of press Jesus on this question of like, how many times do we have to forgive somebody who continues to hurt us? As many as seven, you know, and you get the sense that, that Peter is being sort of absurd, right? He's trying to say, surely you don't mean that we should forgive somebody up to seven times. And Jesus, of course, sort of doubles down on Peter. He says, not just seven times, but 77 times. In other words, as many times as it takes to bring about forgiveness is how often you ought to forgive. Now, I start with this passage because for those of us who have been locked into abusive relationships or relationships that are toxic and hurtful, where somebody does just continue to to uh, speak words that are harmful and tear us apart, or, or maybe even worse than that, people might, who might be physically abusive, this passage is not good news at all. It really tends to convey this sort of burden of guilt for those of us who take our faith very seriously, but feel like it sort of drives us to put ourselves in a position of being victimized or or hurt over and over again by the same person. And you know, we, we have to be honest and just say that in the history of the church, where there are certain kinds of people who have been abusers over and over again, especially men in marriages where there is a domestic violence situation, that unfortunately it is true that in the church, oftentimes certain kinds of churches really use this passage to sort of bludgeon women into feeling guilty about leaving an abusive husband. And, you know, these stories don't go back very far. You can, you can find people today who are in churches that use these kinds of passages to keep women in their place, to continue to stay in relationships that are toxic and hurtful. And so I just want to be clear that I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I, I don't think that Jesus is saying that we have to remain in relationships that are genuinely hurtful and abusive. And I certainly don't think Jesus is saying that women have to remain in marriages that are literally abusive, sometimes to the point of threatening their lives. So what is it that's going on here in this passage? Clearly, Jesus is saying that there is something about the nature of forgiveness and I actually think he's saying there's something about the nature of relationships and the nature of life itself that 
requires the need for us to be the kind of people who are able to forgive over and over again. And maybe you've noticed this. Maybe you've noticed that even in good relationships, good friendships, good marriages, good co-working relationships, good partnerships of all kinds, good relationships between adults and their children, or good relationships maybe between adults and their adult children, that in those very complex human relationships that we often hurt each other in ways that we don't intend. Or sometimes we hurt each other in ways that we do intend in small ways because, of course, we're very weak, fragile, and insecure creatures. I've noticed that in my own relationships that I often hurt the people that I love the most, most often. And maybe you've noticed that too. That very often the people that you cling to that are most important to you, the people that you look up to and respect, are the people that you have a tendency to hurt over and over again. That is, I think, just the nature of life. It's not an excuse. It doesn't mean that those relationships can't get better, but what it means is that for me to live and exist in this world and to be in relationships of friendship and love and partnership and caring that we are going to hurt each other from time to time. I've been married for a long time now. My wife and I have been married for uh, about 30 years. And the truth is, is that even though we love each other deeply, even though our relationship is better than it has ever been, I think, the truth is, is that we have hurt each other over and over again. And there's no way that our relationship would have grown and become as strong as it is today if we hadn't learned to forgive each other 77 times. If we hadn't learned that sometimes when we hurt each other, we have to be willing to forgive each other over and over again. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is very simply saying that life itself is repeatedly full of the need and the opportunity to forgive. And if we don't learn how to forgive, if we don't know how to do that, if we lack that skill, then the flip side of forgiving 77 times, the flip side of that is that we actually end up getting trapped in a prison of unforgiveness. You know, one of the uh, books that we've mentioned to you uh, that has really influenced this series is The Book of Forgiving by Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter, Umfo Tutu. And they say this, I think, really perfectly. And I want to read this quote to you to illustrate sort of the flip side of what I think Jesus is talking about here in verses 21 and 22. Uh, the Tutus say this in the Book of Forgiving. They say, We choose forgiveness because it is how we find freedom and keep from remaining trapped in an endless loop of telling our stories and naming our hurts. Now, I want to pause there before I read the rest of the quote and just point out how important I think that is. You know, we've talked about the necessity of telling our story when we're hurt and being able to name our hurt, but the tutus in this quote reveal a really important insight, and that is, as good as it is to tell our story and as important as it is for us to name our hurt, Sometimes we get locked in a cycle of indulging in telling that story and naming that hurt over and over and over again, and we end up in our minds 
endlessly ruminating on the hurt that we experienced. And then what's normally a very good and necessary and important step actually can become a kind of prison for us in our own hurt. Now, the quote goes on to say this, It's how we move, that is, forgiveness, is how we move from victim to hero. A victim is in the position of weakness and subject to the whims of others. Heroes are people who determine their own fate and their own future. A victim has nothing to give and no choices to make. A hero has the strength and ability to be generous and forgiving and the power and freedom that comes from being able to make the choice to grant forgiveness. And this is, I think, exactly what Jesus is trying to say in verses 21 and 22. This is not bad news. This is not God requires you to forgive that abuser over and over and over again, no matter how terrible they are. This is, in this life, you are going to be hurt and you are going to hurt. And if you learn this process of forgiveness, then you can be free from that prison of unforgiveness. You can be delivered from the tendency to get locked into being a victim who is powerless under the memories and the ruminations of that old hurt and is now free to determine your own fate, free to determine your own future. I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get out here. And there, I think it's good news. Clearly, Peter doesn't hear it that way, and often we don't hear it that way, but I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to offer us. And I want to back up a little bit from there in verse 21 and take another look at an earlier passage. Uh, And in this particular part of the passage, Jesus, I think, reveals something else that is important to us. And if you look at verse 15, here's where we'll see that. So back up a little bit in Matthew chapter 18 to verse 15, and here's where we find that passage I read at the very beginning of this series. Jesus says this, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let them be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now I want to pause there and again just point out that this is another one of those passages that has been used to really hurt and control and manipulate others in church. When this passage is taken as some kind of law that we have to follow, and other people don't behave the way we think they should, it's easy for an authoritarian church leader to take this passage and try to force you to forgive somebody that you're not ready to forgive yet. That's, again, not what I think Jesus is doing here. Instead, I think Jesus is unpacking something that is critically important at the heart of every act of forgiveness. And I want to read a little further to try to uncover what that is. So if you'll join with me again in verse 18, let's pick it up there. Jesus says in verse 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in, or bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is sort of 
strange language that Jesus uses, so I want to move forward a little bit more to try to uncover this. Verse 19, he says this, again, truly I tell you, and this is, I think, the important part. If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among you. Now, whatever this passage means, this whole step-by-step process whereby somebody has hurt you, and Jesus says, if that happens, go to them and tell them. And if there's no agreement between the two of you, then Jesus says, go and get others in the church and involve them. And if there is still no agreement, go and get the whole church and get the whole church to try to bring that person who hurt you to a place of agreement. And if that doesn't happen, Jesus says, treat them as a tax collector or a sinner. In other words, put them outside of your sphere of relationship. Now, I want to put a pin in that because we're going to talk about that next week. That's the final step, and it's really important. But for now, I want to try to share with you what I think Jesus is getting at with this passage. This whole process is designed to try to get two people, the one who was hurt and the one who did the hurting, to understand each other. Another word for that is empathy. Jesus is trying by giving a hearing, a full hearing to the person who was hurt and giving an arena, a safe arena for the person who did the hurt, the abuser in that situation, to have to hear the story and have to hear their their victim name the hurt. That entire process is supposed to through the help of friends and community members, it's supposed to create a safe non-abusive, non-controlling space where empathy can be achieved. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is describing when he says, if any two of you agree on earth, anything can happen. What Jesus, I think, is saying there is that when two human beings who have something against each other, when one has done the hurting and the other has been hurt, when any two human beings can get past that and come to a place of agreement and understanding and reconciliation and unity, if that can happen, then anything can happen. If any two human beings can get past that hurt and come together again, then even the impossible can be achieved. Now, again, I mentioned this a moment ago, the word that we often use for this is empathy. And it turns out that empathy is a really critical ingredient in forgiveness. Another book that I have been reading as we've been preparing for this series is called Five Steps to Forgiveness by Everett Worthington. This is a book written many years ago, but it's based on some sociological studies around the process of forgiveness. And here's what Everett Worthington had to say about the importance of empathy in the process of forgiveness. I want to share this quote with you. He says, People in the empathy-based group were able to forgive more deeply and hold on to forgiveness longer than were people who forgave to benefit themselves. Who did it better than people who did not forgive at all? 
Now, what Worthington is trying to unpack there is sort of the flip side of what I'm sharing with you from this passage in Matthew 18. See, their sociological study involved this, a whole group of people who said that they experienced some kind of hurt in their lives, and there were sort of three groups. The first group were people who did not forgive. The second group were people who did forgive, and then they took the second group and they split them up into two groups of people, the people who forgave because it was good for them, and the people who forgave because they experienced empathy for the per person who hurt them. And what they found is, first of all, something that I think we all know intuitively, and that is people who have experienced hurt and are unable to forgive experience really serious outcomes in their lives. They experience more broken relationships. They experience more unhappiness. They experience higher levels of depression and other mental illnesses. They experience actually worse physiological health outcomes when they're unable to forgive the person who hurt them. But even for those who were able to forgive, who experience more positive outcomes in their lives, Worthington found that there were two motivations. The first motivation was because it was good for them to forgive. And that's kind of what we talked about at the beginning of my message today, that, that forgiveness is good for you when someone has hurt you. That if you don't forgive, you get locked in this prison of unforgiveness, and that is bad. And if you can forgive, if you can come to the place of being willing to forgive because it's good for you, that is good and right and important. But what Worthington found is that people were able to experience deeper forgiveness and longer-lasting forgiveness if they went beyond just a self-motivated forgiveness. That if they were able to empathize in some small way with the person who hurt them, then their forgiveness was more satisfying to them. That they reported experiencing more peace that they reported the ability to forgive over a longer period of time without having a recurrence of those negative outcomes in their lives. And so what Jesus says here in Matthew 18 about two people coming together is that in an ideal situation, this process, this step-by-step -step process of forgiveness, it, it requires empathy that actually runs both ways. I know that that can be really hard to hear for some of you who are thinking right now about people who have hurt you and hurt you very badly. And that can sound like I'm telling you that you have to empathize with your abuser. That is not what I'm saying at all. Nobody is required to do this. Nobody's required to forgive at all. All I'm saying is that Jesus, I think, touches on something that we have learned today that is very true. And the truth is this, that if you can find a way to see the person who hurt you in a more sympathetic and more empathetic light, then you will be unlocked in your ability to forgive them. That doesn't mean that you excuse their behavior. That doesn't mean you let them off the hook. That doesn't mean there are no consequences. All it means is that you recognize that they are human, just like you. And that leads us to the third thing that I want to point out to you from Matthew chapter 18 that I think is extraordinarily important. 
If you go back to the very beginning of Matthew 18, it begins with another famous passage of Jesus that we usually don't think of as related to forgiveness. So let's read it together now. It's Matthew 18, uh, verses 2. And this is where Jesus says this. He, He called a child whom he put among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is an incredibly famous passage, and sometimes you hear people using it all the time to tell you that you should be like this or you should be like that, right? Jesus said you should be like little children, therefore, we should all have a kind of simple childlike faith. But Jesus doesn't say that our faith should be simple or childlike. In fact, Jesus tells us very clearly what he means in the very next verse, verse 4, he says, whoever becomes humble like a child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) So there it is. The very specific way that Jesus calls us to be like children is that we're to be humble. Not that we are to be simplistic, not that we are to be uneducated, not that we are to be underdeveloped or, or small, but very simply that we are to be humble like them. And remember, I told you at the beginning of my message today that this entire chapter is about forgiveness. And I think it's incredibly telling that Jesus begins his discourse on forgiveness by exhorting us to be humble. It turns out that humility is the key to being able to experience empathy with other people. And Jesus actually bookends this concept at the beginning of chapter 18 and then again at the end of chapter 18 because right after he teaches this idea that we ought to forgive 77 times, he tells this extended parable. And that extended parable, the parable that he he gives to us to end his teaching on forgiveness, basically goes something like this. He says, one time there was a man who owed a great debt And he went to the person that he owed the money to, and he begged and he pleaded for that debt to be forgiven. And the ruler had mercy on him and forgave him his debt. And then that man went to others who owed him money, and he grabbed a hold of him, and he threatened him and said, you must pay me your debt. And when the original ruler, the original debt holder, heard that the person he forgave had no mercy on the people who owed him, He went out and had him arrested and thrown into jail. Now, if it isn't abundantly clear, the moral of that story is this. The reason that we can be humble, the reason that we can have empathy with the people who hurt us, is because we ourselves have hurt others, and we ourselves have been forgiven. And I know it sounds simplistic, But it really just does boil down to this. Our ability to be free from prisons of unforgiveness, our ability to experience liberation from being victims when other people have hurt us, is directly related to our ability to be humble because we realize that the people who have hurt us, the people who have wronged us, that they are human just like us. 
And the people who have wounded us, the people who have tormented us, that they have been wounded and tormented too. Every single one of us has been the abuser. Every single one of us has been abused. And that is not to say that everybody's hurt is the same. Some people's hurt, some people's wounds, and some people's abuse has been far more traumatic and far more damaging than others. This is not a way of bringing moral equivalency to all the damage that has been done in the world. And it is not to say that horrific abusers ought not to be held accountable. They should. And again, we'll talk about that next week. But at its core, Forgiveness depends on our ability to admit, just like children, that the world is much bigger and more complicated than we realize, that we are deeply interconnected to each other, and that we have a profound sense of our own limitations, that we have fallen short. And because we know that we have fallen short, because we know that we sometimes hurt others intentionally and unintentionally. That makes us more able to empathize with the people who hurt us, and that unlocks our ability to forgive and unlocks our ability to be free from that prison of victimhood that we are locked in when we experience cycles of unforgiveness. Now, I want to leave you with that. I know that that's a lot to digest, and I know that this is a difficult and sensitive topic. Please hear me when I say this is not my way of saying that you have to forgive somebody that you're struggling to forgive. But when you're ready to forgive that person, when you're ready to find healing, when you have lamented enough when you have told the story enough, when you have named the hurt and you are ready to move forward, this is how we do it. We do it by entering through the gate of humility that leads us to empathize with other people and frees us from our own pain and suffering. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much again for today and for these words that challenge us and stretch us we ask that you would grow each of us in our ability to forgive other people. We ask, God, that you would help us to be ready to hear others when they come to us and say that we have hurt them. I ask, God, that you would make us a church of people who have the courage and the willingness to grow through cycles of hurt, and unforgiveness and find freedom from those sins to find freedom from those cycles of unforgiveness and are able to help each other to find that freedom too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, it's Caden. I have some quick announcements for you. Um, if you are new and you want to connect with us, go ahead and go to the link uh, Sanctuary. Um, dot org slash contact that's going to be a way for you to connect with us or share any thoughts that you have um, and just let us know what's going on 
Um, we also have the Black History Month going on this week. We have Black, Hith uh, Black History posts that we have. Um, so for Black History Month, we're going to be talking about anti-racism at OSC. And we're putting together daily social media and website posts spotlighting various black individuals. Uh, each day of the week corresponds with a different topic. Um, so journey with us this month on Instagram or Facebook. That's at Oceanside Sanctuary. Or you can visit our website as well for daily updates. Um, next up, we have the book club. The book club is on Thursday, February 11th at 6.30 p.m. And that is our February discussion, uh, discussion, which is dedicated to Native Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God, which is by Caitlin Curtis. So if you're interested about that, go ahead and go to OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar, and you can find information about the book club. Um, next up, we have call and, call and Response Scripture Study, and that is Thursday, February 18th at 6.30 p.m. The Call and Response is our monthly scripture study group that approaches Bible study as a group dialogue. Um, and that's much like the call and response tradition, which is found in sacred literature. Um, moving on, we also have um, just lastly, how to give. If you want to give to Oceanside Sanctuary, we are a 501 nonprofit and we do rely on gifts and donations of people like you. Um, so if you'd like to support the mission, consider giving to us. That's going to be online, purely online at OceansideSanctuary.org slash give. Um, so that's going to be it for everything. Like I said, if you need to find anything, go to our website, follow up with um, the post going on this, meet, this uh, month about um, Black History Month. That's all going to be on the website or on social media, Instagram or Facebook. Nice to see everyone. Have a good week.